0: Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church podcast. For more information, visit us at weareradiant.com. This is week three of our Summer Heat series, and if we have not had the pleasure of meeting, my name is Bobby, and I have the honor of serving as location pastor here at South Tampa and wanna welcome all of those joining online. We were just like you a short time ago, and then we moved to Tampa because we just had to be a part of what God is doing here at Radiant. And so I'm gonna talk to you today on the topic of love versus everything, love versus everything, Have you ever had one of those like aha moments in your life? Like one of those that like it was like a light bulb moment that when, whenever it happened, it like it changed everything for your life. It was a moment that you would never forget. And I've had a few of these moments in my life. And one of them was uh, came early on when I was in elementary school. And it was when you put your hands out in front of you and you realize that your left hand makes an L. So you'll never forget which one is your left hand. Is it just me? That's not gotten to say Everyone is like, well, of course. Like, why would you need that? Well, it helps, okay? And... Uh Another one happened while I was in college. And so uh, prior to that, uh, right before I got my driver's license or my learner's permit, uh, I was noticing in class, uh, I was having a hard time uh, reading uh, the words on the screen. And if you're going to uh, drive a car, seeing is kind of important and kind of focusing. So uh, we went and I got my eyes uh, examined and ended up with uh, contacts and glasses. And so it was at LensCrafters. And so the lady helped out. We tried on all sorts of different frames and there's round ones, and oval ones, and square ones, and big ones, and little ones, and I don't know. She was just trying different ones, and she found a pair that fit that she said looked good, and so I just trusted her and went on. So wore these glasses uh, on and off all through high school, well into college. Uh, And so I have a picture uh, of me wearing these. Uh, This is a picture of me and my brother in college, and so this is right about the time I met uh, my wife, Joanna, and she wears glasses too, and so we did that cute thing you do when you're dating. It's like, let's try each other's glasses on. So yeah, that's cool. So we tried and swapped glasses, and when she took, Uh, mine off, uh, she looked at the label and she asked, she said, have you ever looked at the brand of these glasses? And I said, no, why? And so uh, she pointed out that the brand of these glasses is Candy's Girl. (laughs) So for all of high school and a few years into college, I was wearing Candy's Girl sunglasses or eye prescription glasses. And so I learned a valuable lesson that you can trust the people at LensCrafters, but verify the information, right? So I had another one of these moments uh, in May of 2017, and it was a a question that was asked at this event I was at. And this question that was asked and the way it was asked just absolutely changed my life and changed my walk uh, with Christ. And so I wanna share that question with you today. So is it a sin to go to the movies? Man, you feel that? That got serious, like, real quick. Like, out of nowhere, it was like, oh, man. That, just so you know, that's not the question that changed my life, okay? I know some of you were like, I mean, really? This guy? No. Uh, so uh, we'll, uh, we'll try a different one. Is it a sin to listen to country music? I think it should be, okay? No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding, all right? Now, listen, I lived in Nashville for almost a decade. Listen, I love country music, but uh, if Pastor Aaron were here, I, you know, give, give honor to Pastor Aaron, uh, is it a sin to own cats? Right, that's a good like 50/50 mix in the room. I grew up asking these kind of questions, like, and that's how I kind of grew up thinking and believing and uh, really trying to spend my life like, just trying not to like, upset God and try not to make God mad. And it was a lot of what Pastor Richard talked about last week. And if you missed last week, go online on YouTube, check it out and watch it. He did an incredible job, but a lot of times we have this, this picture of God as this like, angry judge with like a gavel that's just waiting for you to like mess up. And it's this idea that uh, we kind of like, you, you rank sin in your mind on. Almost so if you had like, you know, like the big 10, like there's like those 10 commandments that you gotta remember, but nobody can ever really remember all of them. And you do something wrong to somebody or you, you say something wrong and you spend all day and then uh, you have all this sin and you have this routine at the end of the day for making things right with God. And so it's almost like we treat God like, uh, like we have this like sin bucket we walk around, right? We wake up and we got a total like clean slate and then we get in our car and we drive down Dale Mabry. Or you get on two seventy five or I four, right? And you know, that person cuts you off again and so you know, you, you say something you shouldn't, you give them an inappropriate hand gesture if you're saying like, hello, right? You go all day, You maybe you say something or you say an inappropriate joke at work or maybe you had a long day and you get home and you, you say something wrong to your spouse or your kids and you're upset and so all day you're just kind of collecting sin all day long and so your sin bucket's full at the end of the day and so you're gonna pray uh, before you go to bed because you know that's what you need to do and so God, thank you for today, it was a good day and bless all the children around the world and end world hunger and God forgive me of my sins, and what we do is we just, we empty our sin bucket, and we just give it to God, and then we wake up the next day with a clean slate again, and then we get on Dale Mabry on the way to work, and 275, and I-4, and drive, and go, and then at the end of the day, kind of go back and forth, back and forth, and this routine of making things right with God, and it's our understanding that's the, the issue of this, because it's like we're saying that as long as me and God are cool, it doesn't really matter if you and I aren't that I'm totally focused and totally uh, uh, wrapped my head around focusing on if um, if, if me and God are good. And you ask this question of like, is it a sin to go there? Is it a sin to do this? Is it a sin to Look at that. To hang out with this person is fill in the blank a sin, and it's it's, you're asking like, where's that line at, right? And it's like, how close to the line can I get without crossing over the line? And the problem with that question is, and this is the secret of of pastors working at a church. Of when you ask that question, really what you're doing is you're revealing what's already in your heart because that thing that you're asking if it's a sin is that thing that you really want to do in life. And you look for a verse, and you look through scripture, and you find a verse, and you try to pull it out of context, because you can make anything in this book say about any, just about anything you want it to say if you pull it out of context, and we find loopholes, but there's a better question to ask. And I'm very, very passionate about this topic, and not just for your life, and I hope this uh, resonates with you and it sinks in with you, but not just about you and your life, but I'm passionate about this because of the next generation and those coming behind us, those in Radiant Kids and Radiant Youth today, of the college kids that are going out um, in this. Because historically speaking, if you wanted to know what was in the Bible, you actually had to read the Bible, right? Like. You'd go Back in time before the internet, if you wanted to know what this book said, you actually had to like open it and find it, or go to church and talk to a pastor, or go to your grandmother's house, because she always had one on the coffee table, and you knew she read it, so you ask her the question, right? But if historically, if you wanted to know what was in it, you actually had to open it. But there's right around the turn of, turn of the century, there's this whole movement and this attack on Christianity that happened, and specifically at college campuses, and it kind of ramped up. Right after 9/11, and that happened, and it was this guy Sam Harris and a lot of other atheists were going to college campuses using the Bible and scripture that God is almost like this like angry kid in the sky with a magnifying glass, just waiting for you to like mess up, and it's all this and these crazy things about you know there's no proof that a, a worldwide flood ever existed, so it's a made-up story, and there's all these things going out, and then a crazy thing happened on Valentine's Day of 2005, YouTube was invented right and that changed the world forever and now you could watch videos and there's these guys that were doing like a college circuit now they could record the their their lectures and put it online where people could search for well what does the bible say about this and their videos would pop up of different things and the church's response to this the capital c church like the big church was moving lights and skinny jeans Right? It was the time of like productions and plays. And I I have no problem with skinny jeans or moving lights or anything like that, even though like baggy pants are coming back in style. You know, everything's kind of coming back around. But uh, my church growing up actually had this uh, uh, play we did every year in this production. It was phenomenal. It was called uh, Heaven's Gates and Hell's Flames. So if you grew up in church or were around, you may have seen this, it was based off a, a movie and a play and a book. And so they would, they would bring this production to your church and you could sign up to be a part of it and, and play the different roles in it. But basically it was like different scenes throughout the whole uh, production where like one was like these two construction workers and they're talking and one believes in God and one doesn't. They're kind of making fun of each other and they're having lunch. And then all of a sudden like the building site just collapses on top of them and they die and then the lights go black and then they open up to this like heaven scene on stage and the whole backdrop of the stage is aluminum foil or whatever it actually is, like a theatrical term I'm sure, you know, for it, but it just lights up the room and you're standing before the gates of heaven and you gotta ask the angel if your name's in the book and if it's in the book, Jesus comes out at the top of the stairs and you get to run up the stairs and give Jesus a big hug, but if the angel didn't see your name in the book turns and the lights go red and this music and the devil comes out, who by the way, the devil was my uncle, played. You know, played, uh, and so that was terrifying. And I would come out with all these little goonies and they would like drag to hell. And I remember at night, like, no, I don't want my uncle to take me to hell, please. And every night of that play, I would get saved five nights in a row, year after year after year, because I was terrified that my uncle was going to drag me to hell one day. And it wasn't a faith of my own, it was this faith of being so scared of of not messing up or just saying the wrong thing at the wrong moment, and boom, I was going to end up in in front of the gates and my name wasn't going to be in the book. And in 2019, there was a a seminary president. So it's the president of like a Christian university. It's a well-known university in New York, uh, came out with this statement basically saying that she no longer uh, believes heaven is real. She said miracles don't actually happen. And the resurrection was a made up story. And she's still the president of this university today. this is like a Christian university training up ministers and and people and and teaching what what we believe in the Bible. And this is a quote from the article of what she says. says, when you look at the gospels, the stories are all over the place. There's no resurrection story in Mark, just an empty tune. Those who claim to know whether or not it happened are kidding themselves. Crucifixion is not something that God is orchestrating from upstairs. The pervasive idea of an abusive godfather who sends his own kid to the cross so God could forgive people is absolutely nuts. Isn't that crazy? This is a president of a Christian university comes out with this statement. And there's been studies that have been done that it was uh, one study in particular said that 48% of, um, of Americans identify as post-Christian, meaning they went to kids camp, they went to VBSs and they went, grew up in church, went to youth camp. They have all the t-shirts to prove they went there and have chosen to walk away from faith. Like they know what's in the Bible and they know what it says and they know what happens in church and they've chosen they don't want it. And this is personal for me because I have dozens of friends that grew up in the youth group I went to that no longer follow God or live a godly lifestyle any sort of way. But there's a question that changed my life and how I looked at this. Because there's a difference, you see, between the stories in the Bible and the story of the Bible. Meaning, if you don't know the story of the Bible, it's easy to discount the stories that are in the Bible. You can write it right down this way. It says, how you received your Bible is not how the world got the Bible. Like when when it was given to you, it was mapped and wrapped and chaptered in verse and you got it from a a relative, you got it from the church, you ordered one online, you, you found one somewhere. But that's not how the world got the Bible. Like when you read the the book of Matthew, what we call, like Matthew was was a, a Jewish boy who lived and walked and spent time with Jesus and watched his savior and his rabbi die on a cross and then three days later had breakfast with him on the beach. Like that's when you read the story of Matthew. When you read John, John is the one whom Jesus loved. And John's actually the one that, when Jesus was dying on the cross, he entrusted John to take care of his mom. And don't you know, if you're gonna entrust somebody to take care of your mama for the rest of your life, that's a pretty important person. And the stories that John probably has as he spent his life and the remaining of his life with with Jesus' mom and all these. So when you read this, I mean, that's John. It's not just words on a page. The book of James, what we call it, James is the brother of Jesus. Listen, I love my brother. You saw a picture of him. Like he's like one of my best friends. If if he called me, uh, he still lives in Dallas, and if he called me and needed me for something, I would jump on a plane, no questions asked. But there is not one thing he could do to convince me he is my savior, right? Like, I know where all the bodies are buried in the backyard, right? I know, like, we live life together. Like, I love him to death, but there's nothing he could do to convince me that he is my Lord. But that's James. So when James writes these words that we can read about, it's the brother of Jesus who believes that his brother died for his sins and is now his Lord, And there's this beautiful story all through scripture about Abraham and this promise that God gave him. And it goes into the Israelites and Moses and the Red Sea and let my people go and this beautiful picture. And God establishes this system with judges and this uh, judicial system well before its time. And then the Israelites decide they want a king because all the the cool nations had kings. And so God allows them to have a king and it goes kind of up and down because when you have a king, the king, what the king says goes. And so they have these problems. And so God brings in all these prophets to come and try to correct them and get them back on the right path and following God and the right way and the better way. And it all comes to this moment on the Jordan River that we can read about. And it's John the Baptist is preparing the way for Jesus. And it says this in, in John 1 it says, the next day, John, referring to John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, look, look, there's probably thousands of people on this countryside, this hill, and he gets their attention and says, look, the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus steps onto the pages of history and the world was never the same again. Because Jesus came for something new, something to kind of get people back on track, that if you wanna know what God is like, watch what I do. Watch how I treat people, watch how I talk to people, watch where I go, what I do, how I act, what I say. And the, the Jewish, the, the religious leaders at the time were always trying to trick Jesus and get him to mess up because if they could get him to mess up or trick him with his words or, or trick him with his stories that if they could prove that, he wasn't, that it, he wasn't who he claimed to be. And so there's this one instance where they're trying to trick him in front and there's this guy who's really smart, really intelligent, asked Jesus a question because he's trying to trip him up a little bit. And he's like, what is the, the greatest commandment, right? Because you can't really have like a greatest. Like, what is the greatest one? And Jesus replies, this is in Matthew 22. It says, Jesus replied to love love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Which they were probably like saying along with him because they had grown up in Jewish culture and heard this time time and time and time and time again. But he doesn't just end there. That he says this. He says, and in verse 39, the second is like it. Meaning of equal importance. Of like, I have to tell you one first, love God is the most important, but the second is equally as important. To love your neighbor as yourself. All of the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments. Meaning everything you read about in scripture, everything that you can study about, everything you've been taught, can be summed up in these two things, to love God and love people. And you can read about it in Luke 10, we're not going to go into it, but Jesus redefined what neighbor was, because they had this idea that their, their version of neighbor were people who dressed like them, talked like them, acted like them, smelled like them, but that's not who a neighbor was that Jesus was referring to, and it's the story of the Good Samaritan. And it ends with, or it comes to this moment, what, what we call the Last Supper, and it's Jesus and his disciples go to Jerusalem and they have this moment and they're celebrating Passover as they had probably done time years bef- before, every year coming, coming, coming to this moment to celebrate Passover and what, the, what had happened back in, uh, when they were slaves, when the death angel passed over their house. And so they were coming to this moment and Jesus kind of changed and we call it communion, but he's like, hey, from now on when you do this, you're no longer gonna remember Moses and what happened, you're gonna remember me. And it's this radical moment that a lot of times we don't get because we're on this side of the cross. But the best example I can think that would come even close to this would be like if you know uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham was an incredible man who lived and did crusades all over the world and millions of people have come to know Christ through his ministry and he's since passed. But it would be like saying, me getting on this platform and saying, this year at Christmas, you know how we celebrate the birth of Jesus? It's been cool, it's been this good thing, but moving forward, we're no longer gonna celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're now gonna celebrate the birth of Billy Graham. Like that's the day I get fired, right? And that's the day I'm no longer employed. But that's what this moment is, that Jesus does. And so his disciples are confused. He's saying some pretty outlandish and bold things. And then he ends with this in John 13, 34 and 35, a new command I give you. And no doubtedly, when he said that, it kind of stirred up the room because Jesus couldn't give commands, only God can give commands. Like Moses went up Mount Sinai and God gave him the 10 commandments and he brought it down to the people. But that's what Jesus is saying, a new command I give you, to love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And then he proved his love on the cross, sacrificing his life, for his friends. And aren't we glad that Jesus didn't take a loophole on the cross? That everybody is somebody from whom Jesus died. And the key is this with this whole message today, is that our love for God is demonstrated in how we love one another. That our love for God is demonstrated in how we love one another. So some practical applications for for this. And don't forget, I didn't forget about the question. I know some of you are looking at me, did he forget the question? I didn't forget the question. Like, we're gonna get there. But some practical applications. Why should we tell the truth? Well, the Bible says, thou shall not lie. Well, yeah, it's in there. It says that. But why shouldn't, or why should we tell the truth? Because when you tell a lie, you're trying to protect yourself over something else that when you, when you lie, you don't have the best for that person in mind. You're saying you don't genuinely care about that person, that you can't lie and love at the same time. So why shouldn't we talk badly about somebody? Well, I think I remember reading that it says that God hates gossip. And it does, it does. There's a list of things God hates and gossip is on that list. But that's not why you shouldn't talk bad about somebody because when you talk bad about somebody, you can't also say that you love them at the same time. So why shouldn't guys pressure their girlfriends when they're dating? It's because you can't push your will on somebody and love them at the same time. Well, I get it. Well, how far is too far? Please tell me. Well, that's the wrong question. You're to honor each other. Do for her as God through Christ has done for you. Well, pastor, then we're not gonna get to have any fun. I know, welcome to Christianity. I'm kidding, it's fun, right? Get married and have all the fun, right? (laughs) But there's no loopholes, right? There's no loopholes. There's no things that you can pull out of context. There's no scripture verse that you can dive deep for and pull out. That Jesus made it very, very, very simple. It's less complicated but it is far more demanding. Very, very less complicated, but it was far more demanding. And Paul gives tons of applications for this. You can read in the, throughout the New Testament, you'll see phrases just as, or just as Christ, or just as, when you see that phrase, it says Paul giving an application of living your life just as Jesus did. And a popular one you can find in 1 Corinthians 13, it's the the love chapter, right? And if you're married, you probably had a a pastor say it at your wedding service. But if you back up to the end of chapter 12, what he's actually talking about, he's actually talking to the leaders of the church and people who identify themselves with Christ. And this is, he actually ends chapter 12 saying, let me show you the better way and how to live your life. So the question that changed my life is what does love require of me? I was kinda of hoping for like a, oh, wow, right? <clears throat> what does love require of me? You can ask this question in any situation you find yourself in, any circumstance, any argument, is what does love require of me now in this moment? And not the way you define love, and not the way the world defines love, but the way Jesus defined love the way he lived his life. <clears throat> May 9th, when I heard this question that changed my life, there's also something else that happened that day of why I don't forget it. It was uh, on a Tuesday, and um, we had been, uh, my wife and I, at this point, we were four years into our journey of, of infertility, and we'd been poked and prodded and taken medications and surgeries and injections and all sorts of things. And uh, just for the doctor to say, well, it's it's medically unexplained infertility, which is just a really expensive way for a doctor to look at you and say, I have no idea what's happening. And so, but you still got to pay the bill. So that's fun. So we, we did that. And so we were kind of going through this and had our highs and lows to that moment and celebrating with couples. And every time somebody would, would um, do a pregnancy announcement, we'd celebrate with them, but on the inside, we're just absolutely crushed. And we actually, had one guy tell us that uh, he was like, Bobby, you're never gonna guess. We were trying for one day and we got pregnant. And I was like, Good for you, you know. <laughs> it was a thumb, okay, it was a thumb. It really I'm telling the truth, right? <laughs> and just absolutely heartbroken on the inside, but just kept going and believing and trusting God would answer our prayer. And it comes to this day on Tuesday, May 9th of 2017. And my wife get, has a voicemail that's left on her phone from the doctor's office that um, uh, one of the nurses called and left a message and say, your, 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 your levels, they're usually pregnant. When you're pregnant, they're gonna be at a level 11. Yours are at 40, so there's no doubt that you're pregnant and we're so excited for you and can't wait to celebrate. And so. Like we are on cloud nine, like we're celebrating, we're cheering, like, yes, like my life has been like radically changed, like scripture has come alive for me for the first time in a, in a way it never had before, and now we're going to have a baby on the way, God's answer to prayer, like God is so good, like this is awesome. Only to get to Friday of that week, and my wife got a personal phone call from the doctor basically saying that <clears throat> she's so sorry said, so I don't know what my tech was thinking or reading, but you were not pregnant. And it was Mother's Day weekend. And just absolutely wrecked and heartbroken, going from the highest of highs to immediately the lowest of lows. Started questioning our faith and it's so like, God, I work at the church. Like, I work for you. Like, what is happening? We'd seen teenagers get pregnant in our youth ministry. We were youth pastors at that time. And all these different situations, just not understanding and not uh, being so confused by it. And we'd gotten to the point where we weren't, we weren't at the point where we were gonna like take our lives or anything like that, but just completely depressed and just absolutely ready to uh, give up on our faith and walk away from Jesus and walk away from God completely we kept going and just kept pushing in, going day after day after day and praying and seeking and believing, still hoping, confused and hurt. And we get to our summer youth camp and we're hosting this camp and all these kids in the room. And one of the nights of camp, we feel like God has impressed upon us that we need to get up on stage and share our story, share the pain that we had just walked through and we're continuing to walk through. I remember like arguing with God and like, God, I'm not gonna get on this stage and like tell a bunch of teenagers that like I'm doubting your existence, right? Because especially where, where we were working at the time, like there was a chance that we could have gotten fired from that. Like the pastor's kid was in the room, right? He's gonna call, go home and call his dad and then like, I don't have a job. So it's like, but felt impressed and like the, to go up there and God was telling us like, no, go share your story and how you're not giving up. And the tough moments in the pain and so we get up and share our story and it's this beautiful moment and god's presence was in the room and there was a, a young girl sitting in the back her name was destiny and um, she'd been in our youth group for a while and we'd try to get her to open up to us and talk and every time we'd ask her a question we'd get that like one word response like how was your day fine well how was school yeah it's okay did you have a good week yeah And just couldn't get her to open to me. She wouldn't open up to Joanna. And if you've met my wife, she's like the sweetest person in the world, the easiest person to talk to. Like surely you could talk, but she just was totally closed off. And I'll never forget that night at the end of service, she came literally coming down the front to, to talk to us. And we just, at that moment, we just couldn't get her to shut up. Like she just couldn't stop talking, right? In this moment, it's just voicing everything that's going on. And she had recently found out that she was one and she had had eight siblings. And so all nine of them had the same dad, but all of them had different moms. And so it was just absolutely heartbroken because her view of God the Father was through her earthly father who she didn't trust and found out this information. And so she was able to walk through and she was encouraged. She said, Pastor Bobby, if you guys aren't giving up, I'm not gonna give up either. In that moment, it was God showing us that if you can use your pain if you're willing to give it to him. Because in that moment, that's what love required of me. It had been easy to sit back and not share what we were going through in that hard moment and open up and willing to be vulnerable. But allowing God and following his leading and his prompting has led to dozens and dozens of stories that I could share of people that we've encountered of couples going through the same thing and the same hurt thinking they were totally alone and nobody else knew that we were able to to comfort and be a part of and one of the guys is one of my best friends and was going uh, had um we met him right as soon as he got engaged to his girlfriend. And right as soon as they got engaged, they found out she had stage four cancer. And uh, his wife, when they got married, she ended up passing about three months later, had three little boys and completely heartbroken in this awful situation. But through that, we were able to like have this bond that we were able to walk through life together. We were there for him in his tough moments. He was there for us in us our tough moments. And God was showing us and using us that his love is there. His love is all around us. We just have to seek for it and look for it. and. and then you'll find it and I wish I could tell you that this was the moment that like it changed everything and immediately like we got pregnant after that but at this point in 2017 we were only halfway there we had another four years ahead of us and we had no idea the, the timing for it but I can tell you last night I got to rock my little girl to sleep God is good, and God is faithful. <clears throat> but that's not why I follow Jesus. Because what I learned through this and studying and talking to people is that what he did for us on the cross 2,000 years ago is more than enough that he sacrificed his life, that we can have a relationship with him and spend eternity with him. But not just that, that we can have community with other people, that he literally came to show us a better way to live, that it's not all about just getting to heaven one day, that there's more to your story, there's more to the story. And so whatever it is that you're walking through, whatever pain it is that you've come in, the triumph, the hard moments, the good moments, If you give it to him and allow him to use it, and you'll ask yourself this question of what does love require of me, and allow him to use, he will use you in a big, big way. Because it's easy to say that you're a Christian. It's easy to claim that. You can put the little fish on the back of your your car. Some of you probably should take it off. (laughs) But are you a Jesus follower? because the invitation was never just to become a Christian. I love what Paul says to the church in Ephesus. It's in Ephesians 5. It says this, to live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. And it's that simple. Sums it up, to live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. So God, I come to you right now, God, I thank you. God, I thank you for the people in this room, God, that nobody is here by accident, nobody is here by mistake. God, that we are here on purpose for a purpose. And as God, as you sent your son to die for our sins, but not just that, to model a better way of life, to model the the best way of life, to follow after you. God, I pray that you give us wisdom and grace and mercy and your love and your hope and your peace that every person that we come in contact with, every person that we meet, every person that we're eyeball to eyeball to, that we never forget that that is somebody from whom you died for. That we can ask ourselves this tough question, God, that is not complicated, but it is demanding of our life, of what does love require of me? God, give us grace and wisdom as we go forth. And there's one more group in the room and. Maybe you're here today and you've never made that decision to make Jesus Lord of your life. Today, I wanna present you with that opportunity. You felt a a tugging inside that you just can't shake. And it's this idea of you've never known the Father's love in this way. And you have that opportunity today. And it's as simple as confessing with your mouth and believing it in your heart. And so I'm gonna ask you to do one simple thing with every head bowed and every eye closed, is just for you to lift up your hand on the count of three. And it's a simple sign of surrender, it's a simple acknowledgement that I am making a declaration today that I'm gonna spend the rest of my life following Jesus. So if that's you on the count of three, I just want you to slip your hand up in the air, you can wave it at me, and you can put it back down. One, two, three. That's you, put it up. Wow, thank you, Jesus. So good. God, I pray for those that raise their hand today. God, as they are making that declaration to you that they're gonna put you first in their life, that they're gonna make you Lord of their life, that every situation, every moment, every conversation, they're putting you at the center of it, trusting you, believing in you, leaning into you. God, forgive them of their past, their present and their future. As they begin a new life and a new journey today, God, be with them. And we ask for this in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Man, church, can we give it up for those that made the best decision of their life today? Thank you for listening to the Radiant Church Podcast. For service times or giving options, visit us at weareradiant.com.